Every month, we used to make a trip to Costco. It's one of my least favorite outings we make as a family. Not the greasy slice of pizza we get afterwards. That's not so bad. It's the experience, the claustrophobia. Everyone bumping into each other, having to bend around one person, buying cereal to get at the last big bin of pretzels. Oversized carts in an oversized store piled high with oversized things. Floating through those long warehouse aisles, it feels like a giant metaphor for overconsumption. But, you know, we need stuff, so we go. But that seems like an impossible scenario now. Lord knows we haven't been there since the lockdown. And as we all entered quarantine, the grocery store became this flashpoint, a communal experience that most of us shared. An anxious one, too, fueled by the fear of our fellow shoppers and the virus they may or may not be carrying. Of course, the only reason there's food on the shelves at grocery stores, the only reason we're able to buy it, is because of an army of essential workers. The farm workers and meat packers and other people who are part of the food chain. The cleaners who sanitize the stores before we flood them every day. The cashiers who stand there as potentially infected customers pass by all day long. Today on Telescope, we're going to hear from two essential workers, two people who work at different Walmart stores, both making close to minimum wage. Like many of the other people who've continued to work through the pandemic. It was purely apocalyptic. Like, there's no other word for it. It was pretty scary and there was no control over anything. From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. And Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future, we're going to bring you stories of people who are far away, up close and how each of us are learning to live through this pandemic. Our producer, Carla Green, has the story. When Marie heard that her coworker had pneumonia, she didn't immediately think COVID. And so we thought, oh, okay, you know, Miss Sandy might get better. But we still wasn't for sure, because, you know, Nobody with authority had told us anything. Marie's been a cashier at a Walmart supercenter in Colorado for the past five years. She's 66 years old, squarely in the danger zone for COVID complications. Marie's sister works in healthcare. She told Marie that if her coworker had pneumonia, it might be coronavirus. But she kept going to work. She needs the $12 an hour that she makes. She didn't feel like she really had a choice. I was kind of scared because it was in my age group and, uh, I had more of a chance of getting in most of the people. So I was thinking that I, I should do whatever I can to um, keep myself safe and my family. The colleague with pneumonia was Marie's friend. Marie called her Miss Sandy. Her name was Sandra Coons. They would always go on break together. Sandy would make her laugh with the sweet voicemails she'd leave for her husband. He was in his early 60s, she in her early 70s. Uh, well, I felt really sad because Miss Sandy, like I said, she was a nice, kind-hearted person. She would always keep us laughing because she and her husband were so in love, and they were an older couple. And we used to laugh because every time she went on a break, she'd call him up. And if he didn't answer, she, she'd leave him a short, sweet message. And we used to laugh about it. And uh, they were acting like young lovebirds. 
So when Miss Sandy didn't show up to work, Marie was worried about her. She'd heard something about her being in the hospital. And then we found out that Miss Sandy was in the, on the ventilator in the hospital. And, and that's about a couple of weeks back. And then a couple of weeks went by, and then they had told us that Miss Sandy was going to uh, pass, maybe pass that night. Sandra Coons and her husband died within a couple days of each other in late April. I was really, really sad. But, I, you know, I was thinking when they said that, you know, she was on a respirator, I was thinking then, you know, she's probably not going to come out of it. But, you know, I was hoping and uh, praying that she did. And I, I felt, you know, really bad. But I'm, I'm kind of glad, you know, her husband probably, you know, went with her because they were so close, you know. She would have probably been nothing without him or by versa. For the non-essential workers among us, going to the grocery store has become one of the most dangerous outings of our week. The place we're most likely to come into contact with someone who might have coronavirus. The place we're most likely to get it. That dangerous outing is Marie's everyday work environment. And at the Walmart where Marie works, it wasn't just Sandy and her husband who got sick. Word spread that a security guard who worked at the store had also caught the virus and then died. The store seemed to have become a coronavirus hotspot. Yeah, they would have us, you know, clean all of the registers and, you know, spray them down real good. And, and up in uh, uh, Seth's checkout, every time a customer would get done with the purchase, we would have to go over and spray it down and wash it real fast before the next customer. But, you know, they didn't have enough people trying to do that. They would need at least three people over there, and it's like maybe two at the most at one given time, and sometimes one. I was really worried because people around me had caught it, and I was thinking that, you know, I could catch it any time. But I was hoping and praying that I didn't. But even after Sandy and the security guard had died, Walmart still hadn't held an official meeting to tell everyone what was going on, Marie says. The news spread in whispers. It was late April. The national coronavirus death toll had just passed 40,000. The store stayed open. News now, a health alert for anyone who's recently worked or shopped at this Walmart store in Aurora. The health department shutting them down today after a deadly outbreak, saying the store was not doing enough to protect people. Finally, a couple days after Sandy Coons and her husband died, the local health department shut the store down for cleaning. A Walmart in Aurora shut down after a 72-year-old employee, her 63-year-old husband, as well as a 69-year-old private security employee all died of COVID-19. The Tri-County Health Department ordered the store to close this afternoon after it received complaints from workers and shoppers about a lack of social distancing from too many people in the store and workers not wearing masks. It was announced that the store was closing and why, but the day the store shut, Marie says, was like Black Friday, packed. And just three days later, it reopened. The United Food and Commercial Workers Union, or the UFCW, represents close to one million grocery workers in the United States. And according to their estimates, 68 grocery workers have died of COVID and 10,000 more have contracted the virus as of the end of May. The union says they suspect that the numbers of deaths and infected workers are significantly higher, since they only represent about a third of the total grocery workers in the United States. 
Walmart's employees are not unionized with the UFCW or any other union. Walmart management has been notoriously aggressive in shutting down burgeoning union drives. The UFCW filed a complaint against Walmart in 2015 after five stores that had made movements towards unionization were shut down entirely. Walmart claimed the stores were shut for plumbing issues. Since the outbreak, a group called United for Respect has begun tracking COVID cases in Walmart stores and advocating for workers to have a voice in the corporation's decision-making. In loving memory, Yo Yin Ling, Waldo Evans, Anna Wynall, Lope Audie Lair, Philip Thomas, and Sandra Coons. I wanted to begin by saying their names, to honor their lives, to remember that thousands of associates have contracted the virus, and there have been multiple outbreaks at Walmart stores across the country. This is from a live stream that United for Respect held at the end of May as part of a push for Walmart to include workers on its board of directors. That proposal was voted down at a Walmart shareholders meeting earlier this month. I am Cynthia Murray, a 20-year Walmart associate. Thank you for joining me. Now, you will hear from more associates and some of our political allies about how Walmart is failing us. rights of grocery workers have come into sharp focus over the past few months as they find themselves on a short list of essential workers amidst the pandemic. Unionized or not, most grocery workers make close to minimum wage. Some make so little that they have to sign up for food stamps to make ends meet on their hourly salaries. This is a Walmart associate named Glennis Glarup speaking on the live stream. It's crucial for us to stand together now and hold Walmart responsible for the unsafe conditions they put us in during COVID-19. We deserve to feel safe. Small victories have come in fits and starts. Some grocery workers have successfully lobbied stores to implement the safety measures they requested. Some have gotten hazard pay. At first, Walmart employees got nothing. No extra money, no mask requirements, no special plastic shields at cash registers. Eventually, things started to change. Plexiglass sneeze guards were installed. Stores started to put limits on how many customers could come in at once. By the first week of April, employees had received a lump sum payment, $150 for part-time employees, $300 for full-timers before taxes. Walmart's promised to make another similar payment before the end of June. In response to questions, a Walmart spokesperson emailed a lengthy statement saying, in part, that, quote, we are taking all measures necessary to ensure the well-being of those inside our stores, fulfillment centers, and distribution centers. In the case we do have a confirmed case at any of our stores, we are working with those associates and offering guidance and time needed to receive medical care. The statement also lists additional measures they took, like the sneeze guards, limiting the number of customers in the store at once, and placing social distancing stickers on the floor at stores. But to some Walmart employees, it's all felt like too little, too late. It was purely apocalyptic. Like, there's no other word for it. It was pretty scary, and there was no control over anything. Nicole is a 22-year-old supervisor at a Walmart in Illinois. And by the way, Nicole is a pseudonym, says Marie. We agreed to let both workers use pseudonyms because they worried they might lose their jobs for speaking to the media. And our store has very limited checkout areas. So that just, like, drove up the anxiety and made everything so much worse. 
People have been panic buying since February, Nicole says, flooding the store, making social distancing basically impossible. Masks have been mandatory in Illinois for over a month, but she says some people still try to come into the store maskless. We still have lines stretching from the front half of the store to the middle of the store. We still have empty shelves. I had no idea what was going to happen. I didn't know if this was going to be the end of the world. We didn't know what was coming next. So there's just so much anxiety in the store. For Nicole and her colleagues, the stress is becoming unbearable. I asked Nicole to record some audio diaries about what work's been like these past few months. And she said she tried, but every time she started to record one, she just broke down crying. She's done a lot of crying in her car after work recently, she says. I think half of us are medicated now. Like I've had to up my, I had anxiety before, but now I've had to up my medication. Adding on to that, the twice fold, five times fold uh, workload that we have now, we've got all the anxiety, the extra work. Um, there's a constant catch up and not, we're not doing enough feeling. So it's just everything piling on top of each other. It's just pure exhaustion. Nicole lives with her family. She's the only one working outside the house right now. And she's got family members who are especially at risk for the virus. Her dad and her brother have asthma. Another brother has other health complications. So Nicole's stuck, going to work, possibly exposing herself to a virus that could kill the people she loves. She's caught in the gears of a relentless churn of guilt-ridden what-ifs. It's an impossible thing to have hanging over your head. That's been like the underlying thing this whole time. Like, thinking about all of it, but then you still have to think about, oh, I could be, you know, bringing this virus home and killing my whole family. I'm pretty much the only one that like has to go outside of the house and has to interact with hundreds of people a day who really don't care to keep their distance. They'll get in your face, they'll spit on you, they'll do anything. Like, Walmart customers aren't the greatest people. Now, everyone at the store where Nicole works is wearing a mask. There's a temperature check for employees before every workday. But there's no temperature check for the customers. And there's still no way to stay six feet away from other people at all times, she says. It's laughable at best. Um, We had one of our truck drivers last night. He was joking, oh, essentially you mean sacrificial. And I was like, yeah, no, buddy. If you don't bring me my yogurt, I'm going to sacrifice you. Like, I, you literally exist to give me my yogurt. Nothing else. Nicole and the truck driver are not the only ones who've noticed. Many essential workers, people risking their lives going to work every day, are doing jobs that have been historically undervalued and underpaid. Jobs often denigrated as unskilled. Gig workers, grocery workers, cleaners, meat packers. Their jobs often held by people of color. And people of color are being hit hard by the pandemic. Like Marie, who's a black woman. A recent LA Times analysis found that while coronavirus cases are leveling off in whiter, wealthier neighborhoods of Los Angeles, they continue to rise in lower income neighborhoods with more black and brown residents. There's zero consideration for what we have to go through. And realistically, we're the reason why people can eat right now. Illinois just entered stage three of its five-stage reopening plan, allowing non-essential retail stores to reopen and restaurants to serve food outdoors. 
But with each step back towards so-called normalcy, Nicole is just getting even more anxious, feels even more sacrificial. The more that places open up, the more likely customers are to bring the virus to her store. I am 100% nervous about that because, I mean, our store is super, super busy right now. I found Nicole on Twitter, where she runs an account called Walmart Unionize. Yeah, I try to make it a point at, like, all of our little huddle meetings to remind them that, you know, all labor is skilled labor and that uh, they have power, that they're not just an employee that we could replace immediately. Like, they are the backbone of our store. Nicole and Marie are two of close to a dozen Walmart employees I spoke to for this story. All agree that the company is not doing enough to protect them from the pandemic. Some wish that Walmart would have pickup only at stores or temperature checks for customers, or restrict the number of people in stores even more. But the number one thing Walmart workers told me they want is simple. They want adequate compensation for their newly life-threatening jobs. You can see the exploitation on people's faces. You can see people getting tired and exhausted of having to do three times the work for the exact same pay that we were getting before. Since she started working at Walmart last year, Nicole's hoped that her colleagues would consider unionization, or at least some kind of collective organizing. For the most part, they haven't, she says. We work at Walmart, they tell her. What's the point? Not anymore. Since the pandemic started, Nicole says, her coworkers are more open to hearing that they're indispensable. If you call someone a hero enough times, they might believe you. I first spoke with Marie the day before her first day back at work since the store had closed. I called her to check in. She said things have been okay since the local health department mandated some changes. Like that everyone has to wear a mask and the store now has to keep tabs on how many people are there at once. But Marie and her colleagues are still learning about everything through gossip in the break room and on TV, she says. And since she's been back, she's heard something unsettling through the grapevine. More of her coworkers might be sick. Not that she heard it from her managers. They don't want to tell us what's going on, and it's affecting us. You know, it's affecting the employees. I think we, we have the right to know and the right to decide on, you know, what we're going to do. You know, it's because they don't have the right to uh, decide for us, for, you know, for, about our lives. It all feels just a little too familiar. When Sandy and the security guard got sick, Marie says Walmart could have done more to protect the remaining employees, but they didn't. The management could have decided to close down, you know, for maybe a day or so and get the store all cleaned up. But uh, they didn't do that. And I'm thinking that, that because they probably uh, didn't want to, um, it's more about the money, I think, you know. It wasn't about our health or safety, none of that about how much work you can do for Walmart. Marie's not sure if her sick coworkers have COVID-19 or if they do, when they might have gotten it. So all she can do is keep going to work, not knowing whether her store might sprout another outbreak. Things have gotten so bad that sometimes she thinks about the unthinkable, quitting. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think about not going back, you know, but I think of, uh, you know, I. I can't afford not to, you know, in order to make, you know, make ends meet and take care of my bills. I'll have to go back. 
Thank you to Marie and Nicole for sharing their stories. Every week we receive emails, messages on Twitter, voicemails from listeners. You're telling us what your lives are like and what you're going through. We recently spoke with some high school students who have been protesting over the past few weeks. One of them is 17-year-old Haider Dalla. Haider just finished his junior year of high school in Los Angeles. In so many ways, this wasn't the year he imagined last fall. Definitely didn't expect staying home, watching people dying on camera, watching people getting shot, losing all motivation to do any type of work because I'm so tired of all of this. It's been exhausting, but Haider says it's opened his eyes and many others too. I think that we are the generation that might be able to make an impact. And it shows us that there's more to life than just work, pens, pencils, paper. We look at the world around us, we see death, hardship, torture, slavery, and we realize that it has to change, all forms of it. Telescope is made possible by the world-class team of producers, editors, and engineers that make up Neon Hum Media. John Asante is the managing producer of Telescope. Today's episode was produced and reported by Carla Green. It was edited by Catherine St. Louis and Vikram Patel. Our engineer was Scott Somerville. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks you hear on this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. You can also join our Facebook group by searching for Telescope. If you like this show, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. We want to stay connected with you during this unprecedented time in our history, so please don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are open. If you have a story of life and isolation because of the coronavirus you wish to share with us, you can email us at pitches at neonhum.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. Thank you, and we'll see you on Wednesday. Wednesday.